for a second as we read God's Word, and then I'll let you sit down for a little bit. James chapter 5. If you'll turn in your Bibles to James chapter 5, I hope that you have a Bible with you. If not, if you don't own a Bible, see me after service. I'm going to give you one to take home with you. But James chapter 5, we are wrapping up our sermon series uh, through this letter. And this morning, we're going to be looking at our reliance on a holy God, our reliance on our holy God, seen in the power of prayer. James chapter 5, I want to focus your attention on verses 13 through 16. James chapter 5, starting in verse 13, here's what God's word says. James writes and says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Heavenly Father, I need you to feed your sheep today because I can't do it by my own power. And God, what these folks need to hear is not my opinion. They need to hear your word. And so, Father, I pray that I will speak only what your word says, and, Father, that I will point them to the beauty of Jesus this morning. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. James has been sharing about the fruit of a genuine Christian. What does genuine faith look like? If you remember, he started in chapter one by describing that faith without works was dead, that there was a desperate need that your salvation be genuinely displayed through what you do, that the fruit that would come from your life would demonstrate whether you were truly in Christ or not. So the things you do matters, not for you being saved, but to display your salvation to others. See, God knows that in the mixed group of all these people coming together in this room this morning, God knows that there may be people here this morning in this place who look like Christians, who act like Christians, but don't really love Jesus, and that it's true of all churches, that some of the people who come and attend worship services, who talk like a Christian, who say they love Jesus, don't actually have genuine faith in him. That's a scary thing, isn't it? I've mentioned before one of the scariest parts of the Bible is Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. Jesus says that many will come to him saying, Lord, Lord, didn't we cast out demons in your name? 
Didn't we do great things for you? Didn't we look like Christians? And Jesus will say to them, depart from me. I never knew you. See, what God cares about more than anything is a genuine faith in Jesus Christ that displays itself in fruit that others can see. And so James has been walking us through what that looks like. He's talked about the fact that those who hold prejudice in their hearts don't demonstrate a love for Jesus. Those who show favoritism don't demonstrate a love for Jesus. Those who can't control their tongues don't display a love for Jesus. Those who live their lives according to worldly wisdom don't display a love for Jesus. Those who make plans in the world without thinking of God don't display a heart changed by Jesus. And those who love money and the pursuit of wealth more than their brothers and sisters in Christ don't display a love for Jesus. And finally, he's going to walk us through one who does not show reliance on God does not display a love for Jesus. That part of what it means to be genuinely saved is that you demonstrate in your life a reliance and a dependence on God. Is that easy? No. Because we're told from little children, right? We're told as we're little kids, right? Take care of yourself. Look out for number one, right? Make sure that you've got your own back. We're taught to be self-sufficient, rely on self above all else. And what God calls us to is a reliance on him because we are desperately needy and we desperately depend on him. So he tells us this morning, James does, in the context of prayer in the midst of suffering. Remember, he talked about patience and suffering last week. That's what we looked at, how to be patient and to establish our hearts in the midst of persecution and suffering. And now he's going to talk about the prayer that flows out of our suffering. He says in verse 13, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. I want to present to you that there are four commands at the very outset of these verses. Four commands. I believe two are linked together and the other two are linked together and they all four flow from a heart that has been changed by God. He begins by saying, is anyone among you Suffering. Now, the idea behind that is the implied answer is yes. When the church gathers together, there are among us people who are suffering. And you may hide it really well. You may dress it up. But in the end, there is a suffering you're walking through that God intends to use to bring you into a greater reliance and dependence on God. Very much what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, that they despaired even of life itself. They felt they had been given the sentence of death. And Paul says God did that so that we would rely on him and not on ourselves. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, I encourage you to read that anytime you're walking through a time of suffering. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. So is anyone among you suffering? The implied answer is yes. It's a reality that whenever the people of God gather together, there's going to be suffering in their midst. Just so you know, if you're suffering in life, welcome to the club. 
Welcome to Fairhaven, filled with people who are suffering for Jesus. James tells us that we are to expect this suffering as part of our lives as Christians. And guess what? That suffering should be accompanied by something. So is anyone among you suffering? The answer is yes. So what do you do? The command that flows out of the truth that there is suffering whenever God's people gather is that they should pray. Not pray as a last resort, not pray when nothing else works, but when suffering comes, we pray to God. We rely on him, we are dependent on him, and the question is, what do we pray for? Well, I'd hate to break it to you, but most of us many times pray, God, get me out of this, which Like we talked about in our small group last Sunday evening, it's not wrong to ask God to relieve these things. It's not wrong. But what if God doesn't? See, is the prayer simply to change God's mind on something? Is the prayer simply to get us out of the suffering we're walking through? I don't think so. God may relieve the suffering according to his will. He may have that mercy on us and pour out that grace. But sometimes his mercy and grace is found in the fact that he doesn't remove it. But rather he walks you through it by his own power. Anybody ever wonder why Jesus didn't just take all of his Christians with him when he left? (laughs) Could you imagine being a disciple of Jesus? And he's leaving? And he's telling you, you got to stay. It's really hard because what were they going to experience when they stayed behind? Jesus told them, when I leave, tribulation will come. They hated me. They're going to hate you too. Well, one would have to ask, well, then, Jesus, why are you leaving us then? Let's go with you. But what does does Jesus pray in John 17? In his high priestly prayer where he's praying for his sheep, right? This is Jesus praying for his sheep. And what does he pray to God? God, I do not ask you that you would take them out of the world, but that you would keep them in it. (sighs) Suffering is part of what God uses to push us to a greater reliance on him. Because God knows when we walk through good times, we have a tendency to forget that he's there. So number one, is there suffering among you? The implied answer is yes. It may look different than your neighbor, but you will suffer for Jesus. So what is your response in the midst of your suffering? Let him pray. By the way, that's a present command. What does a present command mean? All of my Fairhaven folks, what does a present command mean? Look at you biblical scholars. I love it. Oh man, I love it. It means keep on doing this. Why? Because suffering's going to keep on coming. Guess what you got to keep on doing? Keep praying constantly. Every day you need to pray. Why? Because you need God. I Need God. And folks, I'm sitting here as one who needs to hear this more than all of you. 
Because as a pastor, I can walk into times where I start viewing this as a business. And I start viewing my job as a pastor is to make sure everything lines up right and everything moves forward like, a, like it's supposed to. And can I be honest with you? There have been days in ministry where I forgot to pray. I forgot to pray. I'm assuming if I walk through that, you might also. We need to be reminded of our dependence on God constantly. Okay, so that's if you're suffering. What if you're doing well? What if everything's good? What if you're doing okay? I'm glad you asked. James says, is there anyone cheerful? What's the implied answer? Yes, that just as there are people who are suffering, guess what? When we gather together as the people of God, there's going to be folks in here who are cheerful. Praise God for that, right? Otherwise, that'd be an awful, miserable thing to go to. If everybody just walked in the door weeping, it might be healthy for you, but eventually we need someone to be excited and happy. Someone whose life God is working in that we're able to be encouraged by. So is there anyone cheerful in the place? What are they to do? Sang. Right? Which, by the way, that's another present command. Just as if there's anyone suffering, let him pray. If there is anyone cheerful, then what are they to do? They are to sing praises to God. It's a present command, which means what? Keep on singing to God. That's a command of God to those who are cheerful. If you're happy... Let it out. But don't just let it out so other people can see it. Let it be known to God. Sing praises to him. Right? Because he deserves the credit, not us. If things are going well in our lives, it's not because we figured the formula out and we found utopia. No, if things are going well and we're cheerful, it's because God's just been good to us. So we sing praises to him constantly when we're cheerful. And I'm telling you, Christians, we got to sing praises when we're cheerful. Because the world needs to see it. Now, let me ask you. You have these two commands that are both present tense, so I think they're linked together because of that. Two present commands. If you're suffering, pray. If you're cheerful, sing. These seem to be two opposite ends of the spectrum because some of us arrive in the middle sometimes. We're a little bit of both. Or we're just kind of blah. What do we do? If you're not suffering uh, through this uh, intense suffering and you're not cheerful, what do you do in the middle? Well, I believe God gave us the ends of the spectrum to tell us what you're to do in the middle. Say that again. Here's, here's, okay, let's talk about this. Is there ever an occasion where the cheerful should pray? Is there ever an occasion where the suffering should sing? Yes, why? Because they're interchangeable. Why? Because singing is a form of praying to God. It's expressing reliance on him. And depend- when you're sing- hopefully when we're singing songs, we're not just going, okay, let's just do- let's get through this. We can get to all the other stuff. And Lord, I hope my neighbor doesn't hear me and let's, let's move on. Our singing is proclaiming to God our desperate need for him. When we're- At least that's why we should be singing is to sing, God, we love you and we need you. This is how great you are. This is how much. So when you're cheerful, guess what? You should still be praying because singing is a form of that. But you also need to pray because why? Because in the midst of things going well, what do we tend not to do? 
pray or think of God. So when we're cheerful, guess what you really got to make sure you're doing? Praying. Listen, when things are going well in your life, don't forget praying. And when things are going poorly, when you are suffering, don't forget to sing. Why? Because he's the same God in both. And he's the same God in the middle. He's the same king who loves and cares for his people, and he's doing something through every circumstance you walk through. That's good, right? Pray and sing. Why? Because they're both forms of praying. And we need to be doing those constantly. Now, the second two commands I also think are linked together because they're in a different tense than the others. He says, is anyone among you sick? What's the implied answer? Yes, Yes, there will be. There will be people who walk through sickness. Now, there's a huge debate among scholars of whether or not he means spiritually sick or physically sick. I'll let you arrive at whatever you want. I think both are true, but it seems to me the context of this would be more like physical sickness. And I'll tell you why. He says, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders. That's a command. Let him call for the elders and let them pray. That's a command over him. Well, the idea is having to have the elders or the leaders of the church come to you. Well, that seems to imply to me that there's a physical reason why you can't go to them. You understand what I'm getting at? That's why I lean towards this being physical sickness, although spiritual sickness, you know, you can still call upon the elders to pray over you. That's still legitimate. But I think this is talking about physical sickness because the idea is one who can't get to the elders. And so let them call on the elders, the shepherds who God has given his people to care for the flock. Let them call on the elders to come and let them pray over him. These are two imperatives, two commands that imply you should do these things without delay. Don't wait. Do these now. If you're sick, if you're struggling physically, And it is to the point where you struggle to even get out and get to be with God's people. It's not inappropriate. I think it's actually a biblical thing for you to call on the elders to come and to pray with you. That's what we do is we demonstrate reliance on God as we relate to one another. See, I'm not just an individual Christian out here living my life. God has put me in a family with all y'all, which means I need all of you. And guess what? You need me. We are in this together, and our prayers are for one another and to to the benefit of each other. And so God is teaching us how important it is that we as Christians live life together and lean on each other and rely on God together in all of our circumstances. Each one of us needs to go to God, not only individually, but together as A church. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. And notice what accompanies that prayer. He says, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. First of all, let's talk about the anointing with oil. I don't think it's some mystical ceremony. I believe that oil had different connotations for them in their day. Remember, this is written in the first century. In their day, oil was used many times as a medicinal solution. It was a type of medicine they would bring. Um, Sometimes oil was used just simply to symbolize 
a setting apart of someone for a particular purpose. So maybe there's this idea that you anoint them with oil, and it's an idea of asking God for special care for them. There are others who believe, and I tend to lean this direction, that oil was used as a symbol of the working of the Holy Spirit in the life of God's people. That the Holy Spirit brought healing and comfort and care to those. Remember, Jesus said that. He said the comforter would come, right? The one who would, who would care and guide the people of Christ. So here I think he's symbolizing that the elders would come. They would anoint them with oil in order to demonstrate that it was not by their power that anyone would be healed, but whose? Right, God's through the work of the Holy Spirit. And also notice he says, in the name of the Lord. See, James wants us to understand that when the elders come together to pray for those who are sick, it's not by their power that they're healed. If anyone's going to receive any type of healing, it's going to be what? From the hand of God, through the work of the Holy Spirit, purchased by Jesus Christ on the cross. You with me? So the idea is we have a full, complete reliance on God, whether we are in suffering or whether we are cheerful or whether we are physically sick beyond any type of physical power. Guess what? We have a God who cares and loves his people. And we demonstrate genuine faith in God when we rely on him constantly. If we say we're Christians, but we don't pray, what does that communicate? Right? This is the theme James has been getting at the whole letter. Genuine faith in Christ will display itself in outward works. What's the outward work he's talking about? Praying. Reliance on God. And if we are Christians and we're not praying regularly, we should probably go to God and pray that he would give us affections for him that are greater than anything the world can give us. Remind us again we need you. Now, sometimes he'll intervene and he'll knock us off our feet in order to remind us of that, but I pray he can, that, that it wouldn't have to happen to all of us, right? Not all the time. Uh, Eddie, Eddie's bouncing back from his surgery, and that surgery has reminded Eddie that uh, he needs God because when he's absent to hand, all of a sudden, all the things he thought he could do by himself, he can't do anymore. Not without God, right? So sometimes God will... God will put us through seasons where we have to trust him and rely on him because of physical things that have happened to us. Now, what we want to be careful of is that we don't bring these about because of sin. And I'm not saying Eddie did that. Eddie, I don't, Eddie just so you know, to be comforted, I don't think your hand surgery had anything to do with your sin, so that's great. I didn't want to imply that because I just used you as an illustration. <laughs> but sometimes the suffering we go through is not because we've lived righteously, but because we've sinned. That's a different scenario. And in that, guess what we need to display? A reliance on God for forgiveness for our sin. But this is the picture of those who are living for Christ and the suffering they go through, the cheerfulness they go through, the sickness they go through, and the key uh, theme to all of them is pray, 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 pray. It's a reliance on a holy God in all of our circumstances. Then he says this. The prayer and the, verse 15, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. See, this is the effects of prayer. This is what God promises. He promises restoration. Now, here's the problem, though. We may not all experience this restoration in this life. 
Because we know that there are some who you will pray for and they won't physically get better. That hurts and that's hard to deal with. But notice, I believe what he's talking about is that this restoration of God is not simply that he's going to relieve whatever physical sickness you have, although that may be possible, but it's the, it's the idea that even if, even if God didn't answer the prayer the way you wanted it to be answered, you would still know that Jesus Christ is victorious and he himself will raise you up, save you, and, be, and he's the one who will forgive. That this is a reliance on God that regardless of how he answers the prayer, we know and we trust that we can believe and put our faith in Christ who will save us, who will raise him up, and we will be forgiven. That's good news. Especially when you've prayed over something a thousand times and it doesn't seem to be answered. The idea here is that you can trust God. He is trustworthy regardless of the answer that comes because no physical sickness, no amount of suffering in this life can separate us from the love of Jesus. And so God promises this restoration that ultimately will be found when we're with God. So what does he say as a result? Verse 16 Therefore, on the basis of the promise of God's restoration, as you rely on him regardless of your circumstances, therefore, what are we to do? Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. All right, now let me help you out. This just simply means, I believe, that we pray for each other, that we're in this together as a family, as a community of believers. We're not on an island by ourselves. We are interrelated to each other. We need one another. And as such, we should be confessing and living out our Christian life together. Now, what I don't believe this means is you got to show up to church on Sunday and tell every person you run into exactly the depths of all your sin. Right? This does not mean, all right, everybody, let's start writing them down. Because some of it's no one's business, okay? This does not mean confess every sin to every believer. But who should we confess our sin to? Well, probably number one, those who we've sinned against. And maybe number two, those who could counsel us through it. So this isn't an open, just so you know, uh, we love transparency here. We love honesty at Fairhaven, but we ain't looking for everything. Some of it's between you and the Lord, and confess that sin to the people that you've sinned against and to those who can help you to walk after Jesus better. That may be a small group of people, but guess what we're supposed to be doing? Part of your reliance on God in all your circumstances is a reliance on other Christians to help you. That's good. So it's to be confessional. Our prayer is to be confessional, right? That we're not perfect people, but we've got problems. We've got sin. We have issues that we need to work through. We've got faults and failures that we need to work on together to look more like Jesus. But number two, our prayer is also intercessory. We pray for one another. And I don't mean pray that God would smite your neighbor or something like that. 
but rather you would pray that God would be good to them and that God would cause them to love him. And so not only do we confess, but we also pray for each other. Oh, this is important, especially considering the amount of suffering, the amount of sickness we'll go through in this life. I can't imagine having to do that alone. We need one another. And God in his gracious mercy has given us each other. But a, a, a display of a changed heart in Jesus is going to be a reliance on God through prayer. He says this, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. That is the result of our prayers. And then he gives this truth statement. And I believe this is probably one of the central themes of the entire section. He says the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. That is a reliance on God. It's trusting God that the prayers that the righteous lift up to their king is actually heard by him, and God will actually act in accordance to his will through them. You understand what I'm getting at? God uses our prayers to accomplish his will in this world. So we pray in reliance on God, trusting that he will hear what we're praying and he will act according to his good pleasure. And whatever that is, we'll still trust him. Amen. See, prayer is not about changing God's mind. Prayer is about communicating our heart's desires and our our our. our Prayer is about declaring to God our reliance on him even if he doesn't answer the way we would want him to. And we display to a lost world that we are genuinely saved as we daily and consistently pray and rely on our king. Some days, that's going to be weeping and sobbing in prayer. Some days... It's going to be singing with joy as God has brought good into your life. And some days, it's going to be the struggle of saying, listen, I don't feel like it, but I'm going to pray this morning that God would help me to rely on him. Listen, I don't know where you're at on the spectrum. I, I, I don't know if you're sorrowful this morning. I don't know if you're really cheerful and you're just ready to sing. I don't know if you're somewhere in the middle. But the answer is the same. You display genuine salvation. You display genuine trust in Jesus Christ as you pray and sing constantly to the glory of his name. But here's the thing. You can only do that through a changed heart by Jesus. These are not natural to us. We don't just suck it up one morning and go, okay, I'm going to pray even though I don't really want to. That doesn't honor God. What honors God is when the people of God declare their, their reliance on him. And so what you need more than anything is not, well, just pray more, although, you know, that's good to pray more, but that's not the solution. What you need is to trust and believe that Jesus Christ is the only one who can pay for your sin debt before God. 
And that when God sent his son to die on the cross, Jesus was paying the price that he didn't need to pay, but that we deserve to pay. And Jesus took it upon himself so that we could have new hearts that love him and that are reliant on him and that sing his praise every single day. What we need is not to try harder at praying. What we need is to have such a view of the beauty of Jesus that we couldn't help but cry out to him one more time. What I want for everyone in the room is that you would love Jesus so much and you would trust in Christ that you would declare to the world a reliance on him. Prayer doesn't make you a Christian, but a Christian should be praying. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I love you. And God, I pray that I've been faithful to your word. God, I pray I've said what these verses are meant to say. And if I haven't, God, I pray that you will show that clearly to the people in this room. And God, that they will, they will long for your truth. But God, I pray that from these verses we would see the desperate need for Christians to demonstrate their dependence and reliance on you through constant prayer and singing. God, this world is filled with all types of suffering all types of sickness, all types of brokenness. But God, you are greater than all of it. And as the people of God, we are able to declare clearly that you are of greater worth to us than anything this world can offer. So Father, may we live like it. May you find us as believers, whether we're in times of darkness or times of joy. God, help us to rely on you. May we display to a lost world the genuineness of our faith through our constant reliance on you. Father, I know in my own life I have been guilty of not doing this. God, there have been seasons in my life where I've tried to do it my way under my power, giving no thought to what you would do. And God, I pray that you will guard me from doing that. And I pray the same thing for every person who's in this room. God, forgive us where we fail you. Forgive us where we try to carry it on our own. Forgive us of where we try to be our own God. Help us to rely and trust in you. And Father, for those who are in the room who aren't trusting in you, who are trying to make it through on their own, relying on their own hands and their own might, God, I pray that you will show them this morning as clear as day that they can never, by their own power, make themselves righteous before you. But God, they desperately need you. Would you show them clearly, God, the ugliness of their sin, their desperate need for Jesus, and his gracious sacrifice on their behalf? Lord Jesus, you deserve praise in this place today. We are reliant on you because you are our king, because you are not dead, you are alive. You conquered death sin and Satan and because of that you deserve ultimate praise so father in this place whether it's for the first time or the thousandth time may we give you the praise you deserve work amongst us for your glory we ask it in Jesus name amen